The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the holy name of Jesus, Amen. At first glance, it seems a bit peculiar to read Genesis chapter 1 on this day, the feast of the baptism of Jesus. But there is a strong connection between Genesis 1 and this feast. In the first place, we're at the start of the gospel. And the gospel writers have gone out of their way to connect us back to Genesis. John, as you know, starts with, In the beginning was the word reminiscent of Genesis 1, verse 1. And Mark starts the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's a strong connection between what's going on in the church year right now and the beginning of all things. But maybe you noticed the even stronger connection between our gospel lesson and our Old Testament lesson, between the spirit and water and voice at the baptism of Jesus and the spirit and water and voice of Genesis 1. Same spirit, same water, same voice, same divine work of creation. But to see why this is not just some literary flourish, we have to read a bit closer. Before God spoke, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Now, if you try to picture this, you'll be baffled. It's really nonsense. It's, it's meaningless to imagine a shape that has no shape or to see a world in which there is no light. You can't see something that's not there. You can't see anything when there's nothing. Chaos, by definition, cannot be comprehended. We cannot conceive of what it was like in the beginning. It's a physical description that defies all of our experiences. But this physical description of creation before God spoke also points to something that we can comprehend. The meaninglessness of existence apart from God's word, apart from the meaning that he supplies. And that is precisely what God did. God spoke and his words made sense of the senseless. They brought order out of chaos and something from nothing, and he illuminated darkness itself. 
and made the world meaningful. So in this way, the ancient account of creation that we have in Genesis is thoroughly relevant to modern humanity. For among the great quests that have driven people throughout the ages, the search for meaning is preeminent. And here you have the end of that search. God gives meaning with his word. But that is not obvious in this world. If it's hard for us to imagine the physical world before God brought things into order, it is not difficult for us to imagine a disordered and meaningless existence. It's not hard for us to imagine a life that has no purpose, no end, no transcendence. In fact, fear of such a life, fear of a meaningless existence, is everywhere. And so people search and search. The meaning is not obvious because of the terrible consequences of sin. In fact, meaninglessness is one of the curses delivered to Adam and Eve. As God described a cycle of toil and pain, thorns and thistles and sweat, until we return to the ground. For we are dust, and to dust we will return. That much, it turns out, is obvious to everyone. It is the curse which is obvious in this world and the source of countless many existential crises. Sin plunged the world back into chaos and darkness, and it again became formless and void. Heaven and earth, which belonged together, were separated, and humanity was alienated from God, just as the curtain in the temple was needed to enforce the boundary between the Creator and His creatures. And our chief sin of idolatry, of putting ourselves in the place of God, is now so clearly seen in all of our endeavors to assign our own meaning to existence. And so, with all that in mind, we find ourselves today in Mark chapter 1 at the Jordan River where John is baptizing and proclaiming his baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John is not unique in identifying sin as the problem. You don't need to be a prophet or even a worshiper of God to know that sin is our problem. It's been one of the striking features of all of the recent sexual harassment news that moral failure, sin, is understood to be the obstacle that stands between who we are and who we imagine we could be. Even if it's unclear just whose moral standard we fail to live up to, it is nonetheless very clear that we fail. It is sin which attempts to scrape together meaning at someone else's expense. So what makes John different is that he doesn't stop at simply calling out sin, and he doesn't try to solve the problem with punishment which is the only tool in our collective toolbox. Instead, John offers forgiveness, and he points to Jesus, who can deliver on that offer. And so, Jesus arrives at the Jordan in a world formless and void, pitched in darkness and chaos, and among people searching for meaning. And there... In the baptism of Jesus, the divine work of creation 
begins again. The Spirit hovers over the waters just as it did in Genesis 1, this time in the form of a dove, and a creative voice speaks. Now in our Gospel lesson, our translation is just a bit weak. It says that when Jesus came out of the water, he saw the heavens opened. But there is a really much more profound and stunning image at play. Literally, it says this, when Jesus came out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart, ripped open, just like the curtain in the temple was ripped apart, torn in two from top to bottom at Jesus' final cry from the cross. Heaven was breaking into this world in the person of Jesus Christ, undoing our alienation from God as Jesus took on our flesh and blood and then took on all our sins. And as he stood in the same water, the very same water with which you are baptized, God spoke, and his words once again made sense of the senseless. They brought order out of chaos and something from nothing, and he illuminated the darkness of the world in which we sit and made our lives meaningful again. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. A declaration that is true of you as surely as it was true of Jesus. For you who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death and resurrection. You are one with him. And so you have been set free from sin. You have been created anew. You are right now as pristine and holy as Adam and Eve were in the garden when heaven and earth were one. Your lives are meaningful. Not a meaning that you supply, but the meaning that God spoke into creation. That you are to live in his image as his dear children, to love as he does in perfect obedience to your Father and for the eternal good of your neighbors. And at the end of your life, even in your death, you will see the fulfillment of the good work begun in your baptism. God has spoken it. And he will surely do it. He will stop at nothing to have you as his beloved child, even creating a new heavens and a new earth just for you. In the holy name of Jesus, amen.